Thanks to our sponsor, District 31 Toastmasters. District 31 helps Toastmasters clubs in Eastern Massachusetts and Rhode Island become where leaders are made. Learn how District 31 Toastmasters can help you become a more powerful speaker and impactful leader by visiting district31.org slash talking Toastmasters. Welcome to Talking Toastmasters with Angela Nuss. Talking Toastmasters is a podcast all about Toastmasters members and how Toastmasters impacts their lives. You can find the Talking Toastmasters podcast at ambiguouspodcastsolutions.com or anywhere you listen to podcasts. This show is hosted and produced by Ambiguous Podcast Solutions. Welcome to Talking Toastmasters with Angela Nuss. Let's welcome Carly Cox of Carlisle, Massachusetts to Talking Toastmasters podcast. Welcome, Carly. Welcome, Angela. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to have you here as well. So let's start at the beginning And tell us a little bit about your Toastmasters journey, what brought you to Toastmasters, and a little bit of what you enjoyed doing in Toastmasters. I joined Toastmasters in the summer of 2016. I work at a company, and one of the colleagues that I knew a little bit was had organized a demonstration meeting. I mostly went to support her because she was worried that not enough people were going to come. Mm-hmm. But in the back of my head, I also was thinking I should probably join Toastmasters because I had recently done some presentations at conferences where I was in person, which is not my normal mode of operation because I work in a global role where it's mostly virtual. And in those in-person presentations, I didn't feel as confident as I would like, and I didn't feel like I did as good of a job presenting in person didn't like eye contact, didn't move around, you're sort of stuck behind the lectern holding on for dear life. And so that was why I originally went to that demo meeting. The demo meeting was fantastic. And I signed up and joined right away along with 59 other people. So her worries about not having enough. Yes, there were 60 people when we chartered. So yeah, it was it it was a very good demonstration meeting and a, a good start. Now, it was a great, you know, we had a lot of people coming. Everybody in the club was brand new. There was one person who didn't come very often who had some experience. And then we had, of course, our club mentor. But it was, you know, with so many people, Mm -hmm. at first there were so many speeches going on that it was hard to get a spot. And I was not forward at the time. And so I ended up for nine months, the only thing I did was attend meetings, sit in the back of the room, and I did two meeting roles. That was it. Wow. Nine months before I finally gave my icebreaker. And the reason I gave my icebreaker, the reason I finally, you know, did it was because nobody had signed up for speeches that day. So we had gone from like giving four speeches a meeting at the beginning to nobody was signed up to speeches because things had just sort of fallen off as, as often happens in the clubs. And that experience of starting to give that speech is what gave me the confidence to then run for a club officer role the following month. 
and then to become the vice president of education to try to address the issues that I had seen in what our original vice president of education hadn't done. Um, so that we end, I ended up helping then to turn around the club. So we went from only having about 30 speeches done that first year to the second year, we had 50 speeches. And then the third year we had 80 speeches and we became presidents distinguished and have you know been either presidents or select distinguished ever since in that corporate club. So that was the start of my Toastmasters career. I actually found that addressing my issues with in-person speaking was quite quick for me. I learned how to do in that first icebreaker, I realized that I actually could do make eye contact and I was pretty good at it. I just had to get over my fear of it. Mm. And I then learned some of those other skills, body gestures and, and various other pieces there so that I became much more confident with my in-person speaking. What I found actually is the reason why I'm still in Toastmasters is more the leadership side. So that club officer role that I took turned into area director, turned into division director, club growth director, and now program quality director. And so that's really the side that I lean in on now because that's, I, you know, I want to be a leader at work and, you know, being a leader in Toastmaster helps me to practice those skills and learn those skills in a safe environment where it's not my career and my, you know, income on the line if I make a mistake. Mm -hmm. Wow. There's a lot to unpack there. So you talked about speeches. So you mentioned a few different things. Um, I don't even know where to start with everything you mentioned. You mentioned giving speeches, vice president of education, presidents distinguished and select distinguished. So maybe since we are several episodes in, I think by now, most of my listeners understand that we give speeches for a certain reason. So why don't we talk about distinguished and what it's like to have a distinguished club of what is all this distinguished language in our Toastmasters world? Yeah, so the Distinguished Club program is basically, it's the metric system that Toastmasters has set up for clubs to be able to get an indicator of how well they're doing versus sort of the how well they could be doing. And it's really all based on members being able to get out of it what they are expecting to get out of it. So if you look at the, there's 10 goals in the program. Six of them are education related because most people come to Toastmasters to improve their speaking skills and also their leadership skills. And both of those things translate into education awards. So the new you know, the program that is active now is called Pathways. And in Pathways, you can get awards for completing different levels. And every level sort of they build in complexity the projects within them, but in them, you're usually giving somewhere between two and five speeches and then doing some other activities in there. And the if you don't have people earning awards, then the question becomes, well, what are they doing in the club meetings? Are people actually giving speeches? Are they actually not just giving random speeches, but are they actually trying to learn in order to improve? Because you can have two different people who both give 10 speeches and the level of improvement of those two different people will be vastly different depending on how they approach it. So if you have one person who goes and just gives 10 random speeches where they just, you know, go and they make them up last minute on the spot, then they might not improve that much over the 10 speeches. Whereas if you have somebody who goes and with every speech really goes and says, okay, what do I wanna work on this speech? Learn something 
through some type of reading, video watching, whatever, practices, self-assesses, gets other people to give some feedback, does video recordings or whatever they want to do, and then goes back and gives the next one, then they're going to have a greater improvement speech over speech. So by the end of the 10 speeches, you know, where the that first person might have grown, you know, a tiny little bit just from the act of giving the speeches and the practices, that other person is going to have grown a lot. They're going to have a huge amount of growth. And so that's really what the difference is between just giving any speech versus giving a speech within the education program is if you're actually going and doing that reading and that learning and following the steps, you're going to have greater growth than if you're not. So that's kind of the, the main, you know, six out of the 10 are education awards focused. The other ones, we've got two focused on membership because we want to always be bringing new people into the club so more people can benefit. And because people naturally will leave and you need to replace them. Otherwise, the club starts to struggle to be able to put on a meeting that follows all the pieces that it's supposed to for, for optimal growth and learning. You have one which is on training. So those club officers, they talked about being a vice president of education. You know, there's, there's seven officer roles and those people need to get trained so that they can best support and serve their club members. And that also helps them and their own growth, right? Because if you, again, if you just say, yeah, I'll be the officer and then you just go and do it and don't get any training on it, you might not grow very much in that role. And, but if you go and you take the time to, to get trained, to learn, to talk to other people who are doing it, you're going to be able to progress your leadership skills that much more. And then the last goal is sort of more administration-based, making sure that the club officer list gets submitted on time and that dues get in on time. So that's kind of more the management side of it rather than, than leadership, just making sure that you dot those I's, cross those T's, get everything in the way it's supposed to get in. So the the difference between the, the levels of, of awards is that, you know, if you, the idea is that if you get distinguished or select distinguished or president's distinguished, the difference is how many of those goals you complete, that's a sign that your club is good. So it's not about focusing on the metrics, like achieving the specific goals, but it's more about saying what, you know, what is going to serve our clubs well and, and realizing having trained club officers helps serve the rest of your club members. Having people earning education awards means that they're learning and growing and getting what they wanted out of the club. So that's why I always say, you know, it's members over metrics. So the Distinguished Club Program is the metrics. But if you focus on serving the members, the metrics will come because that's what they're designed to do. They're designed to show that the club is healthy. And by focusing on your members, you'll have a healthy club and they will naturally become distinguished. That is a great explanation. Thank you so much. So another way I've heard of it, the distinguished club program referred to as the healthy club program. How healthy is your club? And I think uh, there's some great parallels there. If you are distinguished or better, your club is healthy. It's yeah. just a matter of how healthy it is. If it's not distinguished or better, what can we do to improve? Are people getting what they need out of it? And it sounds like that's something you revel in. You really enjoy figuring out where people, what where the struggles are and building upon them. I mean, you and I spent a year and a half together yes. or two years together doing club coaching. So let's talk a little bit about one of your favorite things, which is the data and how you figure out how to help people. Yeah, so I am, I'm a, a 
I've been labeled recently, got a new name. So my, I call myself, a, I usually call myself a data geek, but I got a new name now. I'm apparently the data diva now. Yeah. So that's, that's my new nickname. I even mentioned it at work <laughs> in front of a lot of people. So now I'm going to be called the data diva. And mm. the reason that I mentioned it at work is because that is what I do for work. I do data. That is my career, my choice, my passion. And so I apply that to Toastmasters as well. So like I said, I, I mean, I like the Distinguished Club program. It's nice to look at the numbers, but I always try to say, my, you know, it's not about the numbers by themselves. It's about what the numbers are telling you. It's the story mm -hmm. behind the data. So I look at data as a way to try to get at the story. And But it never, never tells the whole story. You have to always go and look beyond it. So when I go and I see, you know, a club that has no educational awards, I want to say why. Is it because they're giving speeches, but they're not using the educational system? Is it because the vice president of education doesn't realize how to submit the awards? So people are earning the awards, but they're not getting submitted. Or is it because people aren't giving speeches? And if they're not giving speeches, why aren't they giving speeches? So I use the data as sort of an indicator to go and say, dig deeper, find out what the true story is. And I like being able to show the data on the flip side how things have changed and improved. So for example, you mentioned club coaching. The club that I coached when I first joined and started coaching them, they officially had nine members, but they really didn't have, they had, they sometimes would only have two people showing up at a meeting. Mm. So they were in danger. We were getting close to the renewal period and they were in danger of not being an active club anymore because they wouldn't have had enough people renewing. And we were able to, through a, a variety of techniques, starting with a table event in their building to sign up potential guests, followed by me asking some of my other corporate club members if they could come and attend their meeting to fill in as role players so that the meeting would run well. And then just a lot of support and guidance and handholding for them as we built them up. So by the end, I became a club coach in March. By that June, we weren't distinguished because we hadn't gotten the educational awards yet, but we did have 15 members Ooh. come June. So we had 15 members and we also, we this is a club that had been sort of teetering on the brink for a long time with sort of two officers holding it together and sort of swapping between the top roles. And we ended up with seven brand new officers who weren't either of those two, mm -hmm. and most of whom had just started in Toastmasters within the past few months, a few of which had been in there technically longer, but not really being very active in those years, kind of like me in my first nine months, right? Not mm -hmm. really being active in it. And we were able to then in that second, you know, that full year, we were able to not only get them to be distinguished, but we got them to be presidents distinguished. And if those of you who know the details of the program, starting at 15 meant we had to get to 20. So we went from a club of nine with zero educational awards, zero trainings, the, you know, very few new members coming in to a club that was above 20 with, you know, many educational awards. We had five people earning triple crowns that year. We had 
we got up to the 20, we had, you know, officers trained, we had a full slate of seven officers. All of those things are things that had not happened in that club for years and years and years. So if you go back and look at the metrics that mm -hmm. those distinguished club program metrics for that club, you can see that. And that to me is like what data can do. It shows you that story and it shows you where to focus your attention on. Cause I knew that, you know, they had problems everywhere and I needed to start with the leadership. I needed to start with those club officers, getting people to be those club officers. And that's really what has was the turnaround factor for it was getting the club officers. So going from sort of two dedicated officers who were getting burnt out to seven officers who all were eager to learn and grow was the difference for that club. That's a pretty awesome, amazing turnaround. And one that I've heard more than once now <laughs> since we work so closely together. So in, I think it was the 1920 year, correct me if I'm wrong. No, yeah, I think it was 1920. You were a club coach and then 21, 20, 2021, we did the club coaching together. You are my club coach support team. And then 21, 22, you were club growth director. Okay. Correct. So I had notes from earlier. I was like, oh, I never went back to them. So let's talk about your progression from VP ed to area director, division director, and now climbing the trio letter or the fab four letter, as we call it in district 31. And why don't we start by you telling us what district, telling the listeners what district 31 actually is. And then let's go back to you becoming vice president of education and walking through your story a little bit. All right. So yes, District 31 is Eastern Massachusetts and Rhode Island. So basically, if you roughly, if you take the connect the border between Rhode Island and Connecticut, and then you kind of go straight up through Massachusetts, everything to the east there is what the district comprises of. And in terms of my story, so I mentioned that I became the vice president of education in my second year in Toastmasters, and I was able to help bring the club along. Now, what yeah, this was back. So I, I joined in the summer of 2016. So this would have mm -hmm. been the summer of 2017. Well, guess what? May 2018, that is when Pathways launched in District 31. Oh, in Region right. 9. And so I, you know, I spent, I had spent the first nine months of my VPE term learning about the club. Yeah, the, the competent communicator manual and the competent leader manual and getting everybody started in that. And then all of a sudden this pathways thing came up and it was like, oh man, what's going on? So I, being a data geek that I am, I was like, I want the data. I want to read about this. I want to learn about it. And so I, you know, kind of read everything I could and I, I looked it up and I like created these things to help me understand like what's the differences between the paths and the levels and what do they do? And I realized that, you know, having put in so much time into doing that, I couldn't just go and try to like pass this off to somebody else in the club to do it. Like I needed to stick with it for another year as vice president of education to really help embed pathways usage within the club. Now, the, the good thing is that we didn't have a lot of people who had gotten really far within the competent communicator and the competent leader manuals. We had, you know, with being a corporate club where we only met twice a month and for only an hour, there's a limit to how many speeches we can give within a year. And so we only, you know, we didn't have anybody who I think would give more than four speeches. And so most people, for most people, I ended up suggesting that they just sort of drop 
the competent communicator and switch right over to pathways. There was a couple of us, me included, who were like, okay, no, I want to get my competent communicator. I've done enough. I want, you know, I'll, I'll finish it off. So a few of us did finish, stick with it. But those first two years, we didn't earn any educational awards. Oh. None, none at all in our club because they said we had, you know, we'd started with 60 people. We were still at above 30. When you're only meeting twice a month for a, an hour, like you're not going to give that many speeches. Like the most we had was three speeches in a year. You can't earn a 10 speech award right. in the first two years if you're only giving at most three speeches in a year. Right. So the Pathways was really great for us because it dropped that barrier to getting that first award down to only four speeches. And so that combined with the other efforts that I had made to increase the number of speeches being gave meant that in that first year of fully full year of Pathways, we ended up being President's Distinguished because we had a bunch of people who earned level one. We had some people who even went on to earn levels two and three. And then we had a couple of us who were earning the you know, the traditional program awards as well. So we we got that in that year. So I did VPE for two years in my club. In that second year, that what happened was that November, the area director for my area quit and resigned. And so our division director emailed me as the VPE as well as my president and said, when looking for a new area director, would you or anybody in your club perhaps be interested? So I went and I was like, what's an area director? <laughs> I don't even know what this role is. Like, what is this? So I went and I read up about it. You know, I went to the district leader handbook and I was like, okay, what is, you know, what is an area director? What do they do? And I, and I learned that the, the previous area director had visited. So there was only three active clubs in my area because the fourth one had dissolved. And I learned that she had actually visited the other two already. Ours was the only club she had visited. And so even though it was like early November and the deadline for the visit reports is the end of November, I was like, well, I only have to do my own club. I can do that. And then I was like, okay, well, helping with speech contests. Well, I had been attending and volunteering at speech contests. I'm like, I can probably do a, organize, help organize a speech contest. That's not too bad. And there was only two other clubs to visit. I'm like... Why not, you know? And so I ended up saying yes, that I would be an area director. I didn't get credit for it because I was too late, you know, to join. You have to join by by September to get full you know, credit for serving the whole year. But I just did it for the experience and to learn. And one of those two clubs ended up being that club that I mentioned that I coached. So, you know, I started being their area director in November. I reached out to them in like December and January, ended up visiting them, I think in January and you know, helping working with them in February became their coach in February or March. And so that was one club. The other club, you know, didn't need a coach, but I, you know, visited them several times. They ended up being the host of our area contest. I'm still in touch with the person who was their president today. And so it was my first experience outside of my corporate club. And it was, it was eye-opening for me to learn about how these community clubs work and sort of the different aspects of it. And I was like, I, I loved I loved it. I loved help meeting new people and helping people in a different, new and different way. And so I said, well, I need to do area director again so I can get the full experience. You know, I didn't, I'd missed the training. I had missed, you know, like getting credit for it. I was like, okay, so I'll do it again. And I, so I did it again. And then I, you know, I had uh, enjoyed it again that, that time. 
And then I moved up to be division director, so helping support multiple area directors. Um, so I, I liked I liked being able to sort of be that leader of leaders, something that I don't have yet at work. I, you know, I'm a, I'm a leader at work, but I don't not like sort of a leader of other managers. So it's kind of interesting to get that experience and learn how to how to help people help others <laughs> instead of just helping them directly. And then after being the division director, I, you know, I said, well, you know, I had enjoyed my time being a club coach. I had also helped the president of that other club from my first area to sponsor a corporate club at his new work. So I had done the club sponsoring piece of it. And, uh, you know, so I said, well, club growth director sounds like something that I would enjoy and would be a challenge and where I'd be able to, to give back and, and help out the district and help other clubs. So I ran and I was elected and then I've just been sort of moving, progressing on. So I, you know, I really enjoyed my time as club growth director, helping, helping with those new clubs. I am naturally a shy person, which some people find a little bit shocking. I see Angela's <laughs> making some faces at me here, but I am actually a naturally shy person. And so the, being the club growth director, I had to reach out to people who I had no clue who they were, who would randomly say, like, I might be interested in starting a club and I'd have to reach out to them and I'd talk to them. And so, you know, I got to practice doing that, a skill that is does not come naturally to me, but I was able to you know practice and improve through that to the point where people get shocked when I tell them that I'm naturally a shy person. And then now as program quality director, I'm sort of back in my wheelhouse of education. The program quality director is kind of like the VPE of the district and helping with training the club officers, training the area and division directors, running the speech contests and running the conference. So really getting back to the heart of you know what I love, which is the educational side and helping people to do it. And so I think that's what I even though I am the data diva and I, I love the numbers, it's really, for me, it's about the members and, and the people. And it's helped me to break out of my, my shy shell and be able to talk with people and interact with people. And, and I, I like helping people. I've always liked helping people. Even before Toastmasters, I was on a, a leadership program at, through my work and they we had to sort of tell something about ourselves. I ended up bringing one of those staples easy buttons in as my sort of representative thing for myself. So it's like, that was easy because that's what I try to do in my work world with data. I try to make things easier for others. And that also translates not just into data, but into, you know, Toastmasters and, and other aspects. I'm trying to make things easier for others, get them to understand things in a way that maybe they didn't naturally at something even when I was a kid I found that I can sometimes explain things to people in a way that resonates with them so something that I enjoy doing yeah you taught me a bunch too as to how to organize data and the little drop down menus I'm teaching people at work how to use them and I'm putting them in place in my own personal life it's fun because it makes things a little more efficient too which is great I love it it's been awesome hearing the story about how you went from being a club member who went nine months before she gave her first speech to now being an area director twice, climbing the chairs of the district leadership. So I want to take a minute to backtrack and you were talking about corporate and community clubs. So 
I've actually never been part of a corporate club. I've only been part of a community club and an advanced club. So we've got corporate, community, and advanced clubs. Let's chat about what those are and differentiate them a little bit and maybe highlight a couple of the clubs in District 31 that might help people relate. So I'm actually a member of one of each right now. So I am a member of three clubs. My first club is Toast of the Town. That's my corporate club for Pfizer out of Andover, Massachusetts. The great thing about corporate clubs is that you have that kind of career focus where everybody's got that in common. You can talk about things about your job. And if it's you know, a closed corporate club, then you don't have to worry about, you know, revealing company secrets or anything because you all work for the same company. More so than that, you have, there's in any Toastmasters club, you have multiple types of benefits that people can get. So you get, you know, your public speaking improvements, you have your leadership improvements, but you also have networking and getting to know people. So in a corporate setting, what that means is you're meeting other people within your company who you might not otherwise meet. So I happen to be, even though I am based out of the Andover site, I happen to be in a global role. And so the people that I work with are all over the world. So there's only a limited number of people physically located at Andover that I work with within the course of my normal work. Mm -hmm. And so what would happen in the past before Toastmasters, I could be walking around the Andover campus and I wouldn't see anybody that I knew nobody at all. And so, you know, I'd be kind of like a little bit lonely out there, not really knowing anybody because everybody I worked with was in another country or another state. And then I joined Toastmasters and I met so many people from the club that I suddenly, you know, had people, oh, hi, you know, hi, Carly. And just, just that piece of it. But it's more than just saying hi around the campus because over the years, I've actually ended up being in projects with people that I first met through Toastmasters that, you know, through sort of a collaboration agreement, you know, project with mul across multiple teams and being able to know them already made that work relationship easier. In addition, there's even been a couple of cases where we weren't on a project, but they sort of brought up something that they were struggling with. And I was able to go, hey, I know how to help with that. <laughs> You got data. You're talking about data. That's my that's my thing. You want you have problems getting data? I can help you. Nice. And so I was able to help some people that in a way that that never would have happened otherwise. If I hadn't had Toastmasters, they would have never known me. I would have never known them. They wouldn't have known to come to me for help. And so they would have just continued struggling with their problem, and they wouldn't have gotten the solution that they ended up getting through that connection that we had. So that to me is the, the kind of the benefits of the corporate one is that it's not just about the skills building because of course, you know, getting better at public speaking helps you in your career and it helps the company because you're able to better communicate your ideas and you don't hide your ideas because of being afraid to not speak out again, you know, and share them and you get the better leaders and everything. So you get that piece of it, but it's that hidden piece, I think, of the kind of the cross group idea sharing and, and getting to know people, that really is the benefit there. So that's corporate clubs. Now, community clubs, you know, you have people from all over the place, right? They can be, they might be at a corporation like me. They might work for them, be self-employed. They might work for a small company. They might be a retail. They might be, you know, they could be anything. And so there you get more of the community focus. So you're still getting the skill building, but you're getting the community focus. And I've heard a lot of people talk about how they've ended up getting their jobs through connections that they made in their community clubs, getting to, you know, they 
they know this person and then that person has an opening in their company and they're able to recommend it. I mean, I actually have, I've recommended uh, some of the people that I met from the community clubs and from my district roles for jobs within my own company. None of them have totally worked out yet, but I'm sure it will there'll be a day where I'll be able to say that it, I've been able to help somebody get a job through because I know them through Toastmasters. That's and awesome. That would be awesome when that happens. Yeah, exactly. And so that's, I think that's really, you know, great thing about the community is that you get to meet people from different areas. So, you know, you might, maybe you'll meet somebody who is, you know, a plumber and you happen to know, you know, you need a plumber. And like, now, you know, a plumber that you know and trust because you've been talking with them and sharing things with them through Toastmasters. So you really get some great networks through, through Toastmasters and through those community clubs and then advanced clubs. So the last type advanced clubs are for people who've been in Toastmasters for a while, have, you know, built their skills. And it's really just a forum for people who have gotten to a certain level within Toastmasters to just help them accelerate their growth because you're with, you don't have to, you know, it's, it's fun to help a newbie, but sometimes if you want to work on yourself, you want people who have more experience, who can give you maybe, you know, more directive feedback on suggestions of things to try to get better. Mm-hmm. You also in the advanced clubs, all the ones in district 31, as far as I'm aware, use round robin evaluations, which means that instead of just one person giving their opinion on how you did, you get multiple people giving their opinions, which are not always the same. Sometimes people might even have conflicting opinions, but it's good to know that because that's real life. Your audience, every member of your audience is not going to react the same way. So being able to hear from multiple people just lets you get better that much faster. And then you get inspired also by the other great speakers that are in your club. So I've you know really enjoyed all three experiences. They are all different, but mm-hmm. they are all fabulous in their own way. And that's why I'm a member of one of each. That's awesome. I love it. All right. So I got to ask. Is there anything you haven't done? (laughs) Well, I haven't been district director yet. There you go. (laughs) What else haven't I done? I have not been a club mentor. So I have not mentored a brand new club for their, through their first six months yet. So that is something still on my bucket list to do. I have not done anything obviously beyond the district yet. That's something I'll, I'll think about doing maybe in, in the future. Um, I've never been, I've never been a sergeant at arms. I've never been a treasurer. I think those are the only two club officer roles I haven't done. Wow. <laughs> so yeah, that's probably it. I mean, I haven't done all paths yet. I've done completed two and I'm working on two more. I haven't done them all. Well, why don't we talk about the paths? Let's start with the two you've completed. So the first path I chose was dynamic leadership because as I mentioned earlier, leadership was sort of my focus and I thought the projects in that path seemed to fit best with where I wanted to grow. My second path was visionary communication. So again, on that leadership side, wanting to look at how do I create a vision? How do I share that vision with others, get people to follow along with it? So those are my first two paths that I used to get my Distinguished Toastmaster Award, which I earned last year. And then from there, the two that I'm working on right now is motivational strategies and effective coaching. And that's because I want to, you know, as you probably have can tell from the stories so far, 
helping others, wanting to help, you know, coach, whether it's coaching others or, you know, figuring out how to motivate people in, or at least it's not really about motivating people. It's about helping, helping them find their own motivation is really mm-hmm. what it's about. So figuring out what can you do to try to get people to be self-motivated towards things. So that's why I'm working on those two paths right now. That's awesome. So you get dynamic leadership and visionary communication, which you have done. Yes. I'm actually doing visionary communication right now, as you already know, which we'll talk about in a sec. And then motivational strategies and effective coaching are the two paths you're in the middle of right now. And I've completed motivational strategies. (laughs) So I think it's kind of funny. We have that kind of ironic that we have some overlap there, but uh, dynamic leadership and effective coaching are both forms of leadership. Yes. Coaching is different than mentoring, correct? Correct, yes. So coaching is more, you know, if you think about like sports coaches, right? The coaches sort of tell the players what to do. They might, you know, be depending on the sport, they might be calling the plays. They might be, you know, like if it's more of an individual sport like running, they might be sort of, you know, telling them how, you know, what what should their workout routine be like? What should they be eating? That kind of stuff. So coaching is more sort of the coaches directing and training and giving specific guidance to people, whereas mentoring is more about listening and about, you know, asking questions. You can share, you know, you can share some examples and maybe suggest things, but it's really more the protege is supposed to be directing it more when it's mentoring relationship. And it's more longer term and broader when you're talking about mentoring, you usually have a much broader focus, whereas coaching might be like one thing. So, you know, you might get a coach who helps you just with your body gestures and you know, your body language stuff, or just with vocal variety, that might be a coach, but a mentor might look at, you know, your overall goals. Like when, you know, when I was mentoring you, we were you know, looking at like, what are your long-term goals? What do you want? How does the different paths and the different projects and the different short-term goals, how does those all build towards the long-term goals and really, you know, might give, again, you might be pushing a little bit and saying, nudge, nudging and saying, well, what about this? You know, I nudged you to get your pathfinder last year a little (laughs) bit, but if you had pushed back and said, nope, that's too much for me, I would have said, fine, that's no problem. You know, but it's, it's really about that, you know, sort of encouraging, asking questions, getting people to sort of realize their own potential as opposed to teaching them and coaching them on a specific skill that you're more of an expert in. That was pretty cool. Very great explanation. Very great. Listen to me. Catching myself again. Um, So I'm going to ask a two-part question. Three-part. How many people have mentored you? I don't know if you want to talk about Toastmasters only or in general. And then how many people have you mentored? And what are some of like the things you've enjoyed about each of those? different roles so I'll be honest I have not officially had any official mentors myself oh okay so when I've had to do the project where you're talking about you know being mentored it's more unofficial mentoring so you know things I've talked about my some of my bosses at work who Mm -hmm. have you know given me mentoring I I did have a sort of more of a peer mentoring session. So like my very first Toastmasters mentor, it was more of a peer relationship because we both had started at the same time and we were sort of peers to each other. So it was kind of like a more of a peer relationship. So that's probably the closest one in terms of an actual mentor. Uh, It's something that I am trying from a work perspective I need, you know, need to sort of get clarity for myself on what I want from it. And that's because I mentioned 
mentoring relationships are supposed to be protege driven. So for me to be a protege, I have to be really clear on what I want to get out of it so mm -hmm. that I can then find a mentor who'd be able to help me with that. Um, so I'm still struggling a little bit on, on that side, but from, in terms of being a mentor, so I've had, let me think about this. So I had that first peer mentor. Then uh, several months later, there was somebody new who had joined our club, who I ended up mentoring. I ended up helping her to get a triple crown award. And also she ended up competing in speech contests and ended up, uh, she did table topics and she did evaluations and ended up getting all the way up to the district level in the evaluation contest. She got to division level in table topics and then district level in evaluations. I have had a few other ones in my corporate club that have not gone quite so well. And it's, again, it's, it's one of those things where sometimes, you know, the, the protege ends up they changing their mind. You know, one of them ended up deciding that Toastmasters, she didn't have enough time for Toastmasters. It wasn't for her. She, you know, she left. Another one just kind of never really made the time to have meetings with me. Mm -hmm. uh, we've had, you know, so I've had, I've had quite a few in, through my corporate club to varying levels of, of success. And then that was one of the reasons why I ended up being your mentor, because, you know, we had been talking and I was like, I'm really struggling to find somebody who I can do the full six months with, with two hours a month in that's needed for that advanced mentoring yeah. project within the little mini mentoring path of toast of the pathways program. And so you were kind enough to say, I can do that. I can commit <laughs> six months, two hours a month. Yes, I can commit. We can do that. And so that was, that was great. And that really opened up my eyes also to the benefit of sort of the out of club, you know, cross club mentoring relationships where you get that added different opinions and experiences that you don't get if you're within your own club. Because if you're within your own club, you both have the exact same experiences of Toastmasters. Whereas when you're, if your protege or your mentor is from another club, you now have at least twice, if not more, <laughs> different experiences to draw from, which can really be helpful in that relationship. Yeah. And I want to stay on mentorship for a minute because that was the first time I had technically had a mentor from outside my club as well. I mean, well, sort of technically and technically. So Stefano was my mentor twice and Sean was my unofficial mentor because he was my division director when I was area director. So she was kind of an unofficial mentor, but you and I were working, quote unquote, working together on club coaching. And then you hadn't moved into the trio yet. You, right. I didn't even think it was a thought in your mind at the time we started working together. Because <laughs> I was in the back of my mind, like, I think Carly's going to be my successor here and I'll be able to step down. It. And no, you didn't want that. <laughs> <laughs> you just said, I'm just going to hop over it and go bigger and better. But that's cool. Um, so there are benefits to having the cross club mentorship. And I know for us, it was a little bit easier because we were meeting on a regular basis anyways. We were talking about club coaching and how to help the coaches and what was going on in the district. And then when you shifted to a district leadership role of club growth director, all of a sudden I became part of your leadership team mm -hmm. and there were four other roles that were my peers and I had no idea existed. Yeah. <laughs> so what were those roles again? Can you remind me since you're fresh off of this? 
Yeah. So you, you were the club retention chair, which is in charge of the club coaching program. And then we, you know, the other roles that are supposed to be part of the district marketing team, as it's officially called by, by Toastmasters International, are the new source research chair, the club extension chair, and the club quality chair. So the new source research chair is supposed to be focusing on identifying potential leads for new clubs, looking at, you know, where are there gaps in the district where there aren't clubs that maybe there could be? Where are there companies that maybe could have a corporate club? So that's what that role is supposed to be focused on. The club extension chair actually has kind of two different roles. One is on managing when those leads come in, you know, helping to manage that process and, you know, to get, and that really goes into demonstration meetings as well as club sponsors and helping, you know, helping to find people to be club sponsors and help the people who are probably like, like the person who started my corporate club had absolutely no Toastmasters experience, but, you know, want to start a club anyway. So that, that's sort of the club extension chair role. And then the club quality chair is responsible for helping to support the club mentors. So the mentors are the ones that get assigned to start once the club spot, uh, officially charters and to help them for at least six months. So like in my corporate club, I mentioned we had a club mentor who he actually stayed with us for a full year, which was fantastic because we needed the help yeah. <laughs> understanding all the all the things that we had to do, but at least six months to help make sure, you know, help support those club officers, help make sure that, you know, the meetings get started right, that they put the processes in place in their clubs so that they can be a sustainable club. Because there is unfortunately a lot of clubs that sort of charter and then quickly fall off. And it really that support of a club mentor is to try to mitigate that issue and to keep those clubs going so that they can be a sustainable club that will last for years and years and years. That's awesome. And I think one of the things I enjoyed about being mentored by you, not that I think, I know, we were able to, we were able to kind of bring it to that corporate level, quote unquote, like where, what's my vision? Where do I want to be? Because I had my real estate salesperson's license and I knew I'd be getting my broker's license. And I knew I would be becoming co-owner of the company, the brokerage eventually. So I knew where I was heading. I knew I was leaving leadership roles in the next year or two. Um, so that was definitely something, and we wanted to make sure that I wasn't overwhelmed as I was going into my study time and I was done with everything, which we did it just in the nick of time. <laughs> so that was wonderful and really helpful because you were able to take the data and we were like, I remember when you said to me, you know, you could go for the Pathfinder. You only need three more speeches or whatever it was that you said. And I was like, well, how do we do that? Because I don't want to really add any more to my plate. And we were able to take some of the roles, like the project I was working on, like developing the um, mentorship program for the district. That was my motivational strategies level four project, one of the two in that level. So we were able to leverage that with something I was already doing. Yes. Yeah. And I think that's something that I really enjoy helping people to sort of see the path uh, that they can take, no pun intended there with pathways, but really to, you know, I, I, a lot of people struggle with understanding how the particular path might work for them or how certain projects might work for them. And 
I really, you know, I can see how it can fit. And I like helping people to see that too, to see how they, it isn't have to be, you know, a big burden. They can, you know, one thing that some people don't realize is like, you can give the same speech over and over again and have it count for different projects. So you don't necessarily have to go and create like 20 different speeches. You know, you can have just a handful of speeches, give them multiple times and like, you might not want to give them all at your club because people might get bored <laughs> the same speech over and over again. But guess what? There's over 150 clubs in District 31. The other people are not going to get bored hearing that speech because they've never heard it before. And so you'll be able to, you can give that speech again to a new audience, get new perspectives and focus on a new skill. So you can give that same speech and, you know, maybe one time you're focusing on your body language and um, another time you're focusing more on the vocal variety or you're focusing on, you know, how to really be inspirational. There's so many different projects that can help you with different aspects of it. And that ties in with, you know, speech contests because in speech contests, you are usually giving the same speech over and over again. You can do a speech contest and get Pathways credit at the same time and, and practice doing it. It's one thing that people who do, you know, who compete in speech contests a lot, they like the fact that they get to repeat the same thing over and over again and really practice and refine it. You don't have to be in speech contest to do that. You can do that on your own, even if, you know, you don't like the competition, you don't want to do the competition side of it. You can just do that in your own by building your path. I've heard of some people will take one path and they'll have the whole path dedicated to some big future work-related project that they have. And they'll just do little bits and pieces of it, you know, as the different paths and refine it over time and sort of fit the whole thing into, you know, one path leading up to a big project. So that's the kind of thing that, you know, gets my you know, my my data gears going, trying to like figure out the, the path and the puzzle and like, how do you fit this in? That's something that I enjoy. That's actually how you help me determine my second path because yeah. Toastmasters gave all the members, I think, that were members as of a certain date, a free path yes. for all the chaos and confusion and everything that was going on and whatnot because of COVID and all that, I believe. It was a combination of things. And I was like, I have two months to decide on another path and I'm only on like level two and one path. I have no idea what I'm going to do. So that was part of it too. You were from outside my immediate world and could see the picture differently than most people. And that's how we came up with visionary communication. You were like, okay, these three or four are out. You know, I already knew a couple I wasn't going to look at. And we narrowed it down to three or four and then said, well, visionary communication might be good where you're going in your career. And that's what I'm doing, which yeah. is, amazing. And I'm also sitting here going, how do I apply some of these projects to where I'm going and what I'm doing? But I do want to start speaking more and I am going to start speaking more about commercial real estate and what it is. And storytelling is an elective and I think level three. And I'm just starting to dive into it. And I'm like, well, I can just go to different clubs and talk about it. And guess what? I'm networking. And I'm working on improving my speech. That's exactly. So it's pretty awesome how you can do that. You just get to figure out how many different projects you can apply it to. <laughs> exactly. Sometimes it's just the point is going and practicing it and getting the feedback. Yeah. And it. And I think it's great if you can apply each speech to a different project. But I'll be honest, you know, as much as I try to try to do that, in my district leadership role, I have given lots of speeches that I have not gotten Pathways credit for because it's just sometimes I, 
I've already done all of those ones that are easy to do the electives in level three or the projects in level one. If I've done them all, sometimes, you know, it's, it's a little bit harder to fit the speeches in, mm -hmm. but I'm not necessarily doing it. I'm not doing it only for the awards. I'm doing it for the learning and whether you get credit or not, when you give a speech and you practice, and especially when you get some feedback on it, you learn and you grow. And so that's really the most important piece. And that's why members over metrics is, is my mantra. Members over metrics. That's a great mantra. But well, we've spent most of this time talking about Toastmasters. And other than the fact that you love data, we don't know a whole lot about Carly Cox, the person, as opposed to Carly Cox, the Toastmaster. So tell us a little bit about you personally, Carly. Well, I, I mentioned that I work for Pfizer and, and I work in a data-related role. So I work in a global role helping to make it easier for our manufacturing data to be pulled together and used in order to you know, address issues, make improvements, trying to make our products safer and more cost-effective all the time. So that's sort of on the professional front. On a personal front, I live in Carlisle, as you mentioned at the beginning. I actually live in the house that I grew up in. I bought it from my parents about six years ago. And so this house was built in, the original part of the house was built in 1687. It is the third oldest house in Carlisle. It is actually featured in the historic, Carlisle Historical Society's book about Carlisle. It was built by Josiah Blood. There was Blood family was very big in this area at the time. And the funny thing is, I didn't know this when I was growing up, but apparently what I thought was the original house is actually not the original house. It is the house as it got expanded. So sometime I think in the early 1700s, because it the original house was only half the size of what I thought was the original house. And it was actually a duplex for a while. The house was a duplex. They had two families in it. Like, you know, they were both bloods, but they were two different families. And so in one half of probably if I had to estimate maybe like 1300 square feet, which is what I thought it was. So like, you're talking about, you know, 700 square feet, maybe they had 12 kids, Holy 12 crap. kids plus the parents <laughs> living in like 700 square feet. <laughs> I'm looking around my 800 square foot condo and I'm like, you can't, how do you fit eight yeah. people in here? Never mind 12 kids and two adults. <laughs> wow. So kind of a little bit crazy. And now of course, you know, there's been a lot of changes over the years. So that original or sort of almost original part of the house has grown and expanded to the point where, you know, the house is a lot bigger now. My parents did a lot of additions on it in particular, uh, but it's, it's nice being here. The, you know, we love the, love the town. Obviously I love the school system. My kids are now in the same school that my, me and my siblings went to my older son who is 11 and sixth grade. He had the same kindergarten teacher as my younger brother. My, I'm, a, I'm, one of, I'm the oldest of four. My youngest brother is 14 years younger than me. So he's actually closer, slightly closer in age to my son than to me. And so my parents, I was just talking to a parent of a, a uh, one of my younger son's friends. And I mentioned that my parents had somebody in the Carlisle public school system for 23 consecutive years because there was me my sister and my brother we were there were like five years between us and then there was a nine-year gap and then our youngest brother who was a surprise <laughs> as you can probably guess so they have big gap but he you know he started kindergarten the year you know right after my young the other brother 
finished eighth grade. So it was 23 consecutive years of having a kid in the Carlisle public school system. So I'm not going to have that much, <laughs> but I have two kids, two boys who are 11 and one's 11 and in the sixth grade and the other one is eight and in the third grade. Another kind of interesting fact is that, you know, I started playing handbells in my church choir when I was 10 years old. I continued playing throughout high school. I came back and would play in college and I've played ever since even when I didn't live nearby. So I am still in the handbell choir and we were supposed to have our concert today, but it got moved to next week because of somebody being sick. So that is uh, the long, long-standing handbell musician that I have done. So another little fun fact about me. Wow. I'm still getting over the fact that 23 straight years <laughs> of you and your siblings in the public school system. That's what yeah. happens when there's a 14 year age difference. Exactly. I mean, it, it just worked out perfectly that that nine, you know, the nine years, because our school system is K through eight. So there's nine years of school. So that nine year gap was just right. So that the, you know, the fall after my first brother graduated eighth grade was when my youngest, our youngest brother started kindergarten. So there was no gap. So is there a regional school that you guys go to for high school? High school, it's regional. Yes, the high school is regional with Concord. Oh, Concord Carlisle. Yes, got it. Yeah. Now so we didn't have we didn't have a contiguous period there because it's only four years. So obviously right. there were some years between my brothers where there was nobody there. Gotcha, gotcha. That's pretty cool. That's neat. So you're you're in your childhood home. That's amazing. I love it. That's a great story about how. You thought it was this, but it was really that. And it's the third oldest house in Carlisle. That's pretty amazing. Good for you for keeping it going in the family. Well, why don't we take a minute to flip the script and give you the opportunity to ask Angela almost anything. Oh, man. Okay. <laughs> what do I want to... We've, we've known each other so much. So I guess, let's see. This is a bit of a tricky one for you since we have gotten to know each other really well over the years. Right. Let me see. So I know that you, know, you from having not only been your mentor and, and talking with you a lot, but also, you know, being friends with you on, on Facebook and everything, I know that you're really interested in, you, know, you like, you like getting together with people and, you know, you were shocked when I said I was shy. So kind of maybe like what, how do you deal with sort of those social situations? Like, what do you look for in, you know, in, in your friends? What are, you know, what are the things that you most treasure and value in the friendships and, and getting together in, in person with your friends? That's an awesome question, Carly. So what do I most treasure and value in my friends and about getting together with them in person? Well, I'm an outgoing extrovert and a people person. And my love languages are quality time and acts of service. There's five love languages and it's not like who you love and how you love. It's just who you are and how you receive and fill your cup. So I fill my cup with acts of service and quality time with family and friends and people I'm doing acts of service with. Some of the qualities I do look for are the honesty, um, reliability, people who genuinely care, people who enjoy helping others, just 
a few of the qualities. I mean, they don't have to have all the qualities, but um, you know, I've met some great friends through Toastmasters and we have the integrity, the respect, the service, the excellence. I've been around Rotary my entire life. I've been in since April of 18 as a member. We have the full weight test, a code of conduct. Um, I grew up around it, so I know it pretty well. And, you know, integrity is probably one of my biggest things, integrity and service and respect. My mother was a teacher. My dad has been doing real estate since before I was born. They're both well-respected. I don't think I've ever heard a bad word about either of my parents outside of the family. Okay. <laughs> Just no, not at all. Had to throw a little sense of humor in there. But um just people that I have stuff in common with. Like my best friend and I, we met through school. We just had a mini reunion and she had just moved back to Braintree. And I was like, oh, I walk. I have a walking group. I don't anymore. And uh, she's like, oh, we should walk sometime. So I invited her to my walking group. Then we went on our own and we're practically sisters. She's, we've become very close over the last 10 years since we first started, since we first re-met actually. That was December 26, 2012, so 10 years. She's so lucky to have me in her life <laughs> and vice versa. She's the sister I never had, which is great. Um, but yeah, it's just a matter of, like there's certain things she's into that I'm not into, but we go enjoy it with, you know, because she likes it. Like I'm not, I wasn't much of a beach bum when she first met me. And one of our other friends is a beach bum like her. So I would go to the beach with them and it's grown on me. As long as I have the tools I need, I'm good. So it's just a matter of exploring and learning new things with people as well. Traveling. You, not all my friends are into Disney. Trust me. Not all my friends are into self-improvement and Toastmasters and serving others. And so there's just a lot of variety in it. I think variety is the spice of life. I love meeting new people, people who are different from me as well, because I learn and expand on who I am and I'm just a lifelong learner. I think I got that from both my parents, especially my mom, who's a teacher. Well, it's nice to hear about you. As I said, I'm, you know, a shy person. So one of the things that that I struggle with is, you know, I I was always sort of the smart one at school and you know, would and that sometimes that can cause problems on the social end because other people sort of think, oh, you know, goody two shoes and mm -hmm. you know, you always know the answer can cause problems there but I've always had you know the, the the friend I have one friend who I made in second grade and was friends with her all through elementary middle school high school college um, you know not not as close with her anymore but you know it's sort of I feel like if I did go and reach out to her it would still still you know still have that that friendship there it's just less active I guess you're very active in your friendships and having those getting together I'm a little bit more like in the background and I know that they're there and I know that I could go to them if I needed to but uh, but my best friend now is one that I met in college she was my freshman year roommate and happened to also be in the same a seminar with me freshman year we both ended up doing chemical engineering and she's, you know, she lives in New Jersey now. She's been, you know, moved to different places over there, but it's great. I have my 
work has a location in New Jersey that's not far away from her. And so back before COVID, Mm -hmm. used to go quite often. And when she had been living in California, but she moved back like right before the pandemic, was able to meet her. Uh, She was had just found out she was pregnant at the time and then COVID hit. (laughs) And so, but I was able, I actually did go on a business trip a few months ago back to New Jersey for the first time and was able to meet up with her in person and met her son in person for the first time. So it's nice, you know, for me, it's, you know, don't necessarily have as much of that face-to-face time as, as you do, but it's still nice to have those, those relationships that you can count on and where, Mm -hmm you can still have those conversations, even if it's after six months or more, and just feel like you're kind of falling right back into where you were before. Yeah, those are great friendships to have as yeah. well. I mean, the quality time, the FaceTime, the quality time, like my best friend lived in Braintree, which is where I am. And we started getting together like every Friday morning to exercise because I was self-employed and she had Fridays off because she worked four days a week. And now when she moved 45 minutes away to where she currently lives with her wife, I was like, hmm, we're going to keep it going. And we do. We make it work. Every now and then one of us has something going on or like the weather affects things or whatnot. Or, hey, we're going to be away for 10 days together so we can skip this week or we'll just get on the phone. We need to chat. And then there are some friends that I just see on Facebook and we get together once in a while. Or we talk on the phone and I've started to learn that a quality phone conversation can go a long way as well. Now, if you're in the next town, you're constantly talking to me on the phone, you're not making the effort to get together with me. I don't know, because like we can easily get together, quote unquote, I can drive anywhere. (laughs) So for me, it's that effort part. If I'm always making the effort, like you at least make the effort and hey, whenever I go to New Jersey, I'm going to go see you. Like as long as you're home, I'm going to come visit. So that's something that when I have friends come into Boston that are from out of state, I'm like, let me know when you're here. I'll throw it on my calendar. I'll keep the calendar light till we know what our plans are. I do that with one of my high school friends, actually. And then another friend sometimes comes home and is like, hey, I'm coming home this week. Are you around? And I'm like, of course I'm around. <laughs> I'll make time. <laughs> but yeah, it's great to be able to just reconnect and catch up. Almost as if not much time has passed, partly thanks to social media, I'd say. Yeah. Definitely social media has changed those sort of past friendships where they might have gotten lost and you might have never known who they were before. Absolutely. Well, let's bring it back to Toastmasters. I'm curious to know where you um you think you might be in about three years. Three years, let's see. So we're midway through the 2020, 2022-2023 Toastmasters year. Right. So if we go, you know, fast forward six months, I'll be finishing up PQD. Hopefully I will become the district director. So that will be, you know, in the following year. At some point in there, I'll probably get a second DTM since I'm, you know, working on two paths, doing things there. And then, so that's a year and a half in. Then after district director, I'll become the immediate past district director. So there's some you know, work that you do in in that role as well. Mm -hmm. So that would take me to two and a half years. So then there'd be the, you know, sort of the six more months beyond that. So once I'm not the immediate past district director, you know, what, what will I do? I don't know if I've really thought that far ahead, you know, will I continue doing things there? It's possible. I've sort of been 
playing with the idea of possibly trying to get an MBA. And so that might be something where I might stay a little bit lighter on the Toastmasters leadership side and perhaps start taking some courses towards an MBA. My company has a program in conjunction with Babson College and that to do an MBA where some of it's actually done at, at the Pfizer location. Um, or just at least it's going to tie it in with the the Pfizer program. So that might be something that I pursue. Um, so that, yeah, a little bit, I guess beyond two and a half years, it's a little bit fuzzy still, you know, will I might stay a little bit lower, you know, be more behind the scenes in Toastmasters and might start doing an MBA, or maybe I will decide the MBA is not, not what I want to do. And maybe I'll pick something up or maybe I'll just do I'll focus more on club leadership or maybe doing, you know, uh, some kind of supportive role within the district. Well, it sounds like you're planning to stay in Toastmasters. Yes, I do. <laughs> That's a good plan. We like that. And if all works out in three years, you will be no longer immediate past district director. Or once yeah, I'll, just be a, I'll be a past district director. There you go. You'll just be a past district director. There you go. That's how it goes. Yeah. Well, is there anything else you want to share with the listeners? Not me, the listeners, because you and I can talk about Toastmasters anytime, all day long. <laughs> but the listeners? I think, so I, I mentioned that as program quality director, one of the things that I'm responsible for is our conference. And so the theme for the conference this coming you know, May 2023 is all in. And I think that that's a great theme. And that's that would be my final words is that whatever you choose to do, go all in because it's not going to be worth your time. If you do what I did the first six months or first nine months in Toastmasters and just kind of stay in the fringes and don't really participate, I didn't grow much at all in those nine months. You know, it was only when I went all in, started giving speeches, started being a club officer that I really saw the growth of myself and in others. And so, you know, whatever you choose to do, go all in, make the commitment and stick with it because it will be worth it. But if you don't go all in, you're probably going to end up being disappointed. So just choose what you want to do and go all in on it and you will see growth and you will see benefit. And hopefully that will inspire somebody to maybe go in a little bit more than something that they already started or really think about maybe you want to stop doing something so you can focus on something else. It's it's okay to say no to one thing because that means saying yes to something else. So pick what you want to do, say yes, and go all in. On that note, thank you so much for being here with us today, Carly. Thanks, Angela, for having me. I enjoyed our conversation as always. I enjoyed it as well. And I have a feeling our listeners will enjoy it as well. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Talking Toastmasters with Angela Ness. Please like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Talking Toastmasters and subscribe at ambiguouspodcastsolutions.com slash Talking Toastmasters. Talking Toastmasters is produced and hosted by Ambiguous Podcast Solutions.